Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Leadership Strategies for Women radio show. I'm Ellie Nieves and I'm your host for the next half hour. I'm a speaker, a writer, and a leadership coach. And through 55-minute coaching sessions on the phone, I help women to develop leadership skills, set strategic goals, to bolster effectiveness, and create a personal brand. For more information, you can visit my webpage at www. That leadership strategies for women.com. And for daily leadership tips and motivational quotes, you can join the Leadership Strategies for Women fan page on Facebook. The title of our show today is The Next Generation of Women Leaders, and our guest is Selena Rizvani. Selena is an author, a consultant, and coach whose goal is to propel more women into the top echelons of leadership. Her debut book, The Next Generation of Women Leaders, is the career guidebook she always wished she'd had but could never find. A major underpinning of Selena's book is the 30-plus interviews she conducted with C-level women around the country. Selena wrote Next Generation while pursuing her MBA at John Hopkins, where she graduated first in her class. Selena also holds a master's degree in social work from NYU. In 2009, Selena created her own successful coaching and consulting business, Next Gen Women, LLC, where she works with individuals and corporations to develop leaders and foster gender balance. Selena is also an active volunteer serving as a regional vice president with the National Association of Women MBAs, where she helps developing leaders excel upon graduating. Learn how Selena focused her passion on emerging women leaders and what she's learned from the executives she interviewed, the women she's coached, and the audiences she's spoken to around the country. For more information, you can visit Selena's webpage at www.nextgenwomen.com. Selena, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much, Ellie. Um, I appreciate the invitation. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm so happy that you've been able to join us. You've written an incredible book. Thank you so much for sharing a copy with me. It's been an awesome read. And I want to ask you, what moved you to write The Next Generation of Women Leaders? You know, first and foremost, it was to create a conversation that I didn't see happening. Um, I really wanted to create a dialogue between women already at the top with those up-and-comers, you know, coming up. There kind of feels like there's a division sometimes and that those women at the top are unattainable or inaccessible um, to the average person looking to improve their career. So a major goal was to connect women in this way and to really ask those who've made it to top positions what are the career strategies and advice that you could share to build aspiring leaders credibility, help them save time, and just make better career decisions. I would say uh, one other thing for me that was important was to do something constructive about the low number of women leaders uh, at the top. You know, that's a disheartening thing that we all hear about. We read the statistics that, you know, 3% of Fortune 500s are run by women. And rather than just fan the fire or uh, complain about that, I really wanted to do something constructive. And I thought, what better way than interviewing women, hearing what's really worked well for them, and then, um, you know, promoting that message to lots of women that need to hear it. That's wonderful. Now, with more women leaders than ever to look up to, why do you think that this book is relevant today? 
Hmm, that's a very good question. I, I would say, you know, there is this perception out there that because a lot of women work in the workforce, we've just come over 50%, that we've somehow eliminated all the barriers. And I challenge that. You know, we're not at a point uh, where we've reached parity. We've seen wonderful successes, but the data still says it all. Um, we still make less money than men for equal work. We have fewer networks at the top, you know, fewer role models to provide guidance. So I think the, the book is still very needed and relevant for women today. Uh, and in my conversation speaking with women around the country in different uh, venues from universities to companies to women's conferences, there's, there's a real hunger for this material. You know, there's by no means an oversaturated market. Women are hungry for more leadership skills and coaching. Yes, I've definitely learned that in my own line of work, the women that I've coached and just even seeing on Facebook how many people are following me because they have that same desire and, and you know, for, for knowledge and information on leadership. So um, tell me something. The list that you interviewed is very impressive. You interviewed the president of the L.A. Dodgers, the CEO of the Washington Post. Now, how did you get these, inter these women to be interviewed? Well, um, thank you for that, by the way. I, you know, the first thing I would say is I, I didn't do it all by myself. I have to give credit to um, my one female professor in business school, uh, Lindsay Thompson, I explained to her the idea behind this project, and she really pushed me in a positive way to think big. You know, she said, Selena, think of your dream team. Who would you want on your dream team? And um, as I compiled that list, which included women like the CEO of the Washington Post um, and, you know, the CEO of Papyrus, lots of great women, uh, I decided I'm going to reach out to them the old-fashioned way. And so I wrote them letters. I explained that there's a hole in the leadership development literature, and together let's do something about it. You know, let's uh, fill those gaps. Let's give women the tools they're so hungry for and, you know, that you all have. So to my amazement, <laughs> I approached many women, and the vast majority of them said yes. That's fabulous. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Now, what are the two most important concepts that women should learn from your book? Uh, so important, so important what you're asking. And I'd say, you know, the first thing is to take 100% ownership over your career and the results that you have right now, you know, successes and failures. And it sounds like common sense, but it's really not common practice. I think many of us, you know, feel like if we keep our heads down and do good work, surely we'll be noticed one day. You know, um, somebody will reward us or promote us or, or approach us for an incredible opportunity, but it really doesn't work that way. You know, part of owning your career success is really asking for what you want, learning to ask for what you want and negotiate your way to the top. And that was a really clear message I heard from the women I interviewed. So uh, avoiding the more passive route and really being vocal about your career aspirations and making the big ask. Uh, 
I tell women that I coach, when you do make a request like that, you really need to figure out where you have leverage. That special value that you bring to the employer is really important to know uh, before approaching uh, somebody for any kind of request. The other point I'd say that was really important uh, from the book is we need to change our relationship with risk. You know, women who move up, who really make it to the top ranks, they take professional risks before they feel ready for them. So they don't wait for that day where it's perfectly comfortable and totally cozy to move into that senior role. Um, They really don't wait for that now I feel ready moment. Instead, they get comfortable uh, making decisions with limited information asking themselves this question, which I think is so important, what do I need to do to be comfortable enough to take this risk? And for a lot of us, you know, the answer is something as simple as a mentor or an advisory group we can go to. A training is something that could even build our confidence and even family support. You know, knowing that your partner or your kids or whoever it is is in your corner and and is going to be behind you. Great advice. And what kind of mistakes do you see women making at work? Uh, I see one that's a kind of language issue, and this is more noticeable in younger women um, and, you know, unfortunately takes away from credibility. And I'd say this this takes a form of being self-deprecating, so qualifying our ideas by saying things like, I'm sorry if this is a silly question, or I'm not sure if this is off topic, or someone else may have said this already. But it's a small way that we chip away at our credibility and lessen ourselves instead of boosting ourselves up. Um, we also can do this sometimes by phrasing a statement as a question. And so I think a real hallmark of a leader is that she phrases her ideas affirmatively. She stands behind them, you know, even knowing they're not going to be embraced every single time, but that you really have to stand behind your idea. Buffering it is not going to help you get places. Um, I think one other thing that's uh, a mistake is, you know, hiding or, or not promoting enough where we're succeeding at work. We really need to find a way, an authentic way, that each of us feels comfortable promoting our successes. So if hard work is not enough to get you ahead, part of it is that you need to be communicating what's going well to higher ups. Um, The old saying in management consulting where I worked for years is managers have short memories. So I say why not make their jobs easier? You know, tally tally up your accomplishments. That's really your job, part of owning your success, is to keep an inventory of all the accolades you've received, um, any glowing remarks, and update key players on them. Um, I think the one other thing I would say is seize any opportunity you can to to, to put yourself in a visible position. If you can be the one to send the email to the company that says, look at this great new account we just won, or uh, look at the wonderful cost savings we've realized because of this program. 
you know, get out there and be visible. Meet as many people as you can. Doing that will help get more people vested in your success. I agree with you so much there, especially in today's performance cultures and most of our Fortune 500 companies today. Self-promotion is really part of your job description now. It's not just something that, you know, you can uh, get by on just the work that you do. You actually have to talk about your successes so that you can receive credit for them. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. And, and, and look, the reality is we're competing against some jobs with men. You know, and this is something men, you know, the self-promotion piece for whatever different reasons is certainly a natural thing with men. So I think part of it is looking at it just in a practical way and saying, hey, if we want that one coveted job and it's men and women vying for it, you need to do some self-promoting. As you said, it's part of your role. Mm -hmm. So, Selena, what leadership traits did the executives that you interviewed have in common? Uh, Something that was interesting was how strong their relationship orientation was. So really this idea that they put relationship before task in in their career management, even in their everyday work. Um, So so many of these women said, look, the higher up you go, the more managing is about bringing people together and really getting them to work effectively. It's much less about, you know, your technical expertise. Um, And it's more about creating a lasting rapport. And it's not a transaction. Um, I I interviewed a chief diversity officer at Human Rights Campaign. Her name is Seuss Vu. And she said to me, Selena, I always put relationship before task. You know, she really saw people as being most important and that even though we can all get stuck in everyday work tasks, that people really need nourishing. And that was a, a pretty resounding message and a little bit of a surprise, frankly, because I, I didn't realize that that would be part of an executive mindset. Um, I think another really interesting thing, a trait that came up, was a mentality of, of continuous improvement. Uh, these women really self-reflected a lot. Even on their best day, they talked about how they asked themselves on the way home in the car, what could I do better? You know, what could I learn from this? How did that tough conversation go today that I had? And not just to berate themselves, you know, for weaknesses, but to really hone in on what their signature strengths and skills are, um, what they're most respected for. And so I think that continuous improvement, the self-reflection, was a a really surprising and wonderful trait that I heard about. So what specific advice would you give to a woman who is new at her job? Wow. Well, I think one thing probably all of us would have liked to hear, you know, from a coach at our first job is, Take time, if you're a newcomer, to really learn the culture of the organization. And I mean in a proactive way, not in a passive, you know, I'll learn about it in two years kind of way. So many people overlook learning the culture, and as a result, they they wonder why their ideas aren't implemented. So you really need to look around to learn how do people here like to be communicated with. Who has power in this organization, both 
formal power, like on an organizational chart, and somebody with less formal power. You know, often the main hubs of communication in organizations aren't the people who are highest ranking. Um, and I think something that's really important to do as you learn the culture is look for people who have launched successful initiatives in the past, and generally speaking, who are dynamite, you know, who are people you naturally look up to and respect. I think so many of us can identify these people very easily that, you know, who's successful, but very few of us go up to them, approach them, ask for 20 minutes on their calendar to really learn how they do what they do. Um, so I think it's so important to reach out, you know, get your information from multiple sources, never just one single stream, and, and don't be an island. You know, talk to people with great reputations whose ideas are welcomed and interview them. Yeah, I love that advice about just approaching successful people. And I think that sometimes when we see people, you know, go up the ladder of success, we perceive them as unapproachable. But we would be so surprised by just approaching them and talking to them. So many of them are willing to share advice and insights and even be mentors. I couldn't agree more with you, Ellie. You know, in my interview with Catherine Weymouth, uh, the CEO of the Washington Post, she said to me so clearly, when a young person approaches me and asks me to lunch or to get on my calendar to talk about career management, I always remember them. I'm always impressed with them, and I'm flattered. You know, so when you hear something like that, you know, so often we talk ourselves out of approaching someone like that. Um, but to hear a message like hers, which is that it's actually something she welcomes and appreciates, it really makes you think differently about it, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. And, you know, so often we hear that phrase about how it's lonely at the top, and I think it's lonely because people are afraid to approach you. <laughs> Yeah, yes, it's so true. <laughs> so um, can you share with us how, uh, how can a woman build a brand as a leader or a leader in the making? Well, if you want, you know, I think branding and creating a brand as a leader is so much about understanding what your current reputation is, you know, and taking ownership over that reputation. Uh, there was a time you know, when I was early in my career where I really thought that your brand or your reputation just happens to you. You know, it kind of, you can't really control it. it. You know, people think what they think about you. What I've come to understand, though, is that you are absolutely responsible for the brand you create. And the more proactive you can be about shaping it, the more you'll have control over what it looks like. And one of the ways I coach women in my practice about this is I tell them, think about your job with the end in mind. In other words, when you leave this company one day, how would you like to be remembered? You know, figure out now what you'd like your legacy to be and allow that to be your guiding vision, just the same way a company has a vision statement. Um, so I think that's a, a huge way that you can start to create a brand because essentially what you'll have is a compass that you can use to constantly guide you where you can ask yourself, is this decision in line with my vision and the type of legacy I want to leave? Uh, I think another great way to build a brand as a leader is to show you have some tolerance for risk. 
you know, I was at a panel the other night uh, for a women's conference, and I heard such an astute comment. Um, an executive at a bank said, you know, to some extent or another, we're all put in a box in our careers. You know, you're a lawyer. I'm an MBA. Someone else is a marketing person. She said, you know, to the extent you can, make sure that the lines on your box are not overly defined. And I think that's so important. If you want to be seen as leadership material, you can't be rigid. You can't be married to one single career path or one department for the rest of your life. You know, so many leaders um, took a career lattice approach to their, to their advancement. So they went sideways. They went diagonally. They went up. And um, if you want to be noticed and considered for some incredible opportunity that may be two departments over, you really have to show that you're entrepreneurial, that you're open, that you have this attitude, that you're, you're comfortable with the unknown. So I think that's really important. Oh, thanks for sharing that. And how should a woman go about asking for a promotion? Well, this is, uh, couldn't be more timely because we're, uh, we're approaching Equal Pay Day next week, April 20th. So I'm a huge proponent of women negotiating. And, you know, negotiations, when you really distill them down, they are all about leverage. You know, what is your leverage? So I tell the women I coach, what are the most important things you relied on to do and to what extent? So wherever you can, make a case for yourself with numbers or results, really tangible things, projects you've spearheaded. Any improvements you've made, you know, efficiencies, things you've streamlined. Anywhere you can quantify it, do by all means. And uh, by the way, keeping this, the ongoing log of successes I talked about makes this kind of conversation much easier because you have this ready inventory that you can pull up and, and bring to a meeting like this. Uh, I think something people overlook when they're asking for a promotion or, or anything for that matter is that once they have their case with some hard numbers or data, people forget that they have to also regulate their emotions. You know, there's some emotional preparation we all have to do. And particularly for women, uh, we can sometimes see these kind of negotiations as confrontation you know, or tough conversations. So I think it's especially important if you want to remain unflappable in that negotiation, do some role playing. You know, do it with somebody you trust. And um, I know this has been very effective for me. I've even asked uh, the person I worked with, you know, the first time be kind of neutral with me, the second time be harder on me. Poke some holes in my argument. And, you know, doing that is some of the best practice for actually going in and making the request. Uh, I'd say the last thing that's important to do here is really figure out what your best and worst case is and what you'll do about them. That's something a lot of people overlook. So if they get a yes, they don't know how they'll respond. And if they get a no, they don't know how they'll respond. So um, it's pretty important to think through what is your best and worst case and what are you going to do either way. How can a woman create her own roadmap to success? My definition of success, you know, isn't just 
moving up rungs on a ladder. It's really about finding a job that sustains you in some way personally. You know, those jobs have an incredible staying power. And what I found in my own time as an entrepreneur and from the women I've worked with is if you can find work that jives with your values, that really matches who you are, and you can find a sense of meaning doing it, you will uncover talents in yourself that you didn't even know existed. You know, so don't let people talk you into taking you know, the most coveted path in their mind. Really, you know, your main job should be finding that work that thrills you, that excites you. If you do that, your roadmap to success is going to be pretty easy. You know, for so many women, the hard work is actually finding that thing that excites them. Once you know that, you can find many channels uh, to, to work with it. Uh, if you can also engage a coach, I think that's one of the best things you can do to create a roadmap to success, to really sit down with someone who only has your best interests in mind um, to say, how can I find you know, talent, ability, and an actual need out there and find an overlap between those? And what surprised you most about what you heard from the women that you interviewed for your book? Uh, let's see. You know, it would be that legacy remark I made earlier. Uh, one of the interview questions I asked every woman was, what would you like your leadership legacy to be? And I really expected that many of these women would talk to me about major business achievements, you know, um, or being the first woman appointed as a president in their role, that kind of thing. And to my great surprise, many of the women talked about the fact that they wanted to be remembered as great mentors. They really wanted to be remembered first and foremost as people who, who brought out the best in others, who unleashed potential. And I found that just a lovely surprise, you know, to see that, wow, these women have come so far. And for them, um, so much of being a leader is pulling other people up. And um, Melissa Monk, she was a chief infrastructure officer at Capital One when I did my interview with her. And she said, I want to help people find their passion in life and align it with their work. Uh, Darcy Rudney, she's uh, SVP at Comcast, which is headquartered here in Philadelphia. She said, I want my legacy to be that I hired great people and that I gave them growth opportunities and really took the time to help young people starting out in their careers. So, uh, you know, again, for these women, moving up isn't just about them. They were always actively looking to cultivate young leaders around them. So on that same note, how can a woman pull other women up? You know, I speak to women's groups around the country, and I have to say, you know, why should we all start with women who are already in the workforce, you know, or already college-bound? Why not start young? So I don't think we're ever too young to start hearing empowering messages. If you have a sister or a niece or a daughter, Talk to them in terms of possibilities, not limits. You know, really teach them to get comfortable negotiating on their own behalf and thinking big about their careers. I think on the job, one way that we can support other women is to 
you know, do something as simple as let negativity or gossip die with you. You know, be the one to change the environment if it's unhealthy. Don't engage in gossip. One thing I heard about this from uh, a lot of the women I interviewed is it's a really quick way to lose respect for men, and it's a way to kill your relationships with other women. So, you know, killing that kind of gossip chain is a major one. Um, And then I'd say there are so many great opportunities with networking. I think the best networking groups, and I, I say this in my book, are twofers. You know, meaning it's a place where you can both help and be helped. So I really, you know, suggest that people go out there and look for groups with a mix of leaders at all different levels so that, again, you can be a mentor to someone and you can also be mentored. So, Lena, we're down to our last 60 seconds. Can you tell us what's next for you? Wow, what's next for me is, you know, I've been having a ball on my book tour this last few months. Uh, My book just came out at the beginning of the year. And I would say beyond that, I'm just so excited to take this empowerment message for women bigger, to take it abroad. I really want to speak to international audiences and learn what are the differences. You know, what, what works really well for women in other cultures and what's, what's a barrier for them? Um, I think the other thing I want to do, I, I just alluded to before, which is I really want to broaden the life cycle of this so that we're starting to do some curriculum and some leadership development with girls, both in camps and even as some of their school curriculum. So those are some of the things on my mind to develop and work on. Um, I always tell people if I'm going to ask my clients to think big, I better think big too. Well, Solana, thank you so much. You've been a fabulous guest. You've provided our listeners with some great information, and good luck on your uh, book tour. And tell our listeners where they can find your book. Sure. Uh, Well, thank you so much, Ellie. My book is available on Amazon. It's also available on Barnes & Noble. Dot com and it 1-800-CEO-READ, and it's called The Next Generation of Women Leaders. Ellie, thank you so much for this great opportunity. Thank you, Selena. And to all my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard today, drop me a line on the uh, Leadership for Strategies Women for Women uh, fan page on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Twitter. Again, thanks so much for tuning in, and until next time, God bless.